welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. We're your hosts, Helge Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. Ah, the wisdom in nature, infinite, interconnected, brilliant, beyond what we understand, and the foundation for incredible solutions in our quest for greater sustainability and effectiveness. In this hour, we're diving into the fascinating world of biomimicry with one of the most renowned experts in the field, biomimicry applying nature's genius today on An Organic Conversation. And speaking of nature's genius, this weekend I was working on my tent to get ready to go camping and it reminded me of a story. There was this Swiss inventor who was walking his dog and when he came back, he found all these cuckleburrs on the dog and on his pants. And he, like seed, seed pollen, right? It, it's like a little burr, right? Oh, uh, yes. That you would, that would come off of a, a bush or grass. And he put it under the microscope and he noticed that one side had a hard, stiff hook and the other had a soft loop. Thus, the idea for Velcro was created. Yes, Velcro. <laughs> One of the perfect examples of biomimicry as it's applied in our everyday lives now. Yes, nice. And we'll hear way more stories about that. Yeah, I didn't really realize how much of our modern design is actually gleaned from nature's design until we started doing research for this episode. And I'm really excited about our guests who can speak to that brilliance and how it's being applied for a more sustainable world. More and more so. Yes, that's great. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Coming up is our conversation about biomimicry, applying nature's genius in our day-to-day -day lives for some fascinating solutions only here on An Organic Conversation. More on that when we come back. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic today is biomimicry, applying nature's genius. It's a mind-boggling world out there. Nature, several hundred million years in the making, as kind of the most advanced, oldest, and tried and true design school ever, has come up with some ridiculously brilliant solutions to jump higher, to move faster, to live without water, or to stay dormant for a hundred years or so, only to rise again when the conditions are perfect. From the skin of a shark to the web of a spider and the petals of a flower for optimal solar panel design, humans are only now discovering and applying nature's genius in our day-to-day -day life for new, sustainable, and innovative solutions. Biomimicry, applying nature's genius, our topic in this week's episode of An Organic Conversation. And with us now, calling in from Montana, is Janine Benyes, co-founder of Biomimicry 3.8. Janine, are you with us? I am. Hello, good to be here. <laughs> yes, you are with us. <laughs> Great to have you. Thanks for making the time to be on the show today. You are kind of the most renowned expert in the U.S. and in the world on biomimicry, really bringing it into the schoolroom, into the design schools, into the architecture companies, and many, many more possibilities and institutions that are seeking that kind of genius. Tell us in your words, what is biomimicry? Is it, is it ecology applied? How would you describe it? Yes, it is. It's learning from nature, not just learning about nature, uh, and it's all, at all levels. Okay, so it's learning from drag reduction strategies of a humpback whale, for instance, to create a better wind turbine. 
you know, that reduces drag when it's moving through very with very low wind speeds. So that in that case, it's mimicking, you know, it's emulating a design principle that an organism has evolved over, you know, as long as 3.8 billion years ago. Those incredible energy-efficient, material-saving, non-toxic solutions, all the way up to applied ecology, where you're looking at how an ecosystem functions. How does a forest build soil rather than deplete it? How does a prairie, you know, manage to take care of its own own pest issues and sponsor its own fertility? You know, how does a how does a coral reef support so much diversity? Learning from those ecosystems, that's one level, uh, all the way to learning from the tiniest little nozzle of a spider and how it makes it silk in non-toxic conditions. You know, it's the whole gamut of uh, learning from life's evolved wisdom. So knowing that, for example, agriculture started some 15,000 years ago when humans started to cultivate grains, and some of these examples that you have, you know, the Earth is, what, 4 or 4.5 billion years old. So some of these examples that you mentioned are hundred, hundreds of millions of years in the making, perfected mm -hmm. to the utmost degree. One wonders, why is our society not entirely based on those principles and on that wisdom? Why would we not look before we touch anything at how nature does it? Well, you know, it's it's a question I've asked myself for so long. I started to follow this field when it was a very small, faint signal in the scientific literature, and this was in 1990. And I had written a whole lot of five other natural history books, and they were all about adaptations, nature's brilliant, you know, technologies and chemistries and and, and strategies. And and I that's what I said to myself. Certainly, there's got to be a field in which. When you're, say, inventing a solar cell, the first thing you do is learn everything you can about leaves, because that just seemed to make so much sense to me. <laughs> and it turned out that that's we, really not what was happening. <laughs> and I think, you know, it may be that we, we sort of got very entranced with our own technologies, you know, our, our very powerful so-called powerful fossil fuel driven technologies um, we got entranced with our with our own our own abilities uh, and then I think as we and we forgot I mean I think we used to do biomimicry when we were in our living deep in our watersheds I think we observed organisms all the time and tried to mimic what they did in terms of how they built or uh, our fishing webs based on spider webs um, but I think we got away from that when we when we sort of got too big for our britches. And uh, now, with the unintended consequences of our technologies piling up, we are a little more humble, and we're remembering that there's all this genius out there that we might learn from. Yes, and applying nature's genius is today's topic here on An Organic Conversation. We're talking biomimicry with Janine Benyus, the co-founder of uh, and Institute Board President of Biomimicry 3.8. We'll dive into what that organization does in a minute. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And you were talking about, I mean, how now we're getting humble. Now we're taking the opportunity to take a look at how we can use this information to really make more sustainable systems. But why do you think it is? What is the reason why we're embracing the idea of biomimicry more so today than ever? Or is that not the case. You think that it's been preserved, a preserved tradition for quite some time in different places around the world? No, well, I do. I do think that, you know, indigenous peoples, the closer we are to our, our, our watersheds, we, people have done this for a long time. But there's, there are, one of the reasons it's really being embraced right now is that we need it. Mm -hmm. You know, we understand that we, uh, some of our follies. And so we need, we need to redesign everything. I think people are realizing we don't, we can't tweak what we have. We have we have deep redesign to do and that we don't really have time to experiment again. Our some of our technologies have been grand experiments. So I think people are looking for something that has been tested here on earth. I think we're what we're realizing is if it doesn't allow us to fit in here, then it's not good design. And so when you look for examples of good design, uh, you can't help but say, okay, let's, 
let's go with something that, that has been tested in place and that's already Earth-savvy. The other thing is that, you know, I think our our science has gotten to the point now where we've got, we, we know so much more. We're still seeing through a glass darkly. We don't, life is so complex that the more you know, the more you don't, you know, you don't know. However, it, it's, there's so much, we're able to see how nature works her miracles a little bit better. We're able to describe that. And then finally, there's just a, there's a new discipline that, that, that's been forming of people who, who actually do this systematically. Like, like you said, you know, the first thing they ask is, how would nature do this? They sit down with a biologist, they learn about the phenomenon, and then they try to mimic the design principles that they, that they find. All of those things are coming together. Janine, can you give us uh, some examples of how biomimicry is being used in the world today? Sure. It was interesting when you were talking about all the, you know, energy efficiency and the renewable, moving towards renewables, countries moving towards renewables. And uh, there's one example I just love because it's simple. And it says, you know, anybody can do this, can think like this. There's a group of students at Caltech Poly who who basically were, they are engineering students, but they happened to take a class in, in which they were learning how fish school. So when fish are in a big school, the ones in the front, as they move in their sinuous movements, they throw off these little spirals in the water, vortexes. And the ones behind them come up and, and basically bend their body like a sail to catch that vortice, that spiral, and it helps propel them upstream. And so basically they're all drafting each other, right, like, like bike riders in a way. So these students, they, they were studying wind turbines, the horizontal axis wind turbines that we're all familiar with, the big giant ones. They take up a lot of land. And so these, these guys said, you know what, what if we were to use vertical axis wind turbines? Those kind of look like columns, okay? So they're very tall and thin. And why don't we put them as close together as we can? Why don't we put them together in a school like fish? And what they found, and, and the, the people have been giving them money. These kids are going to now take this and turn this into a business. Because what they found was they were able to get 10 times more power out of the wind farm because the first wind turbines would spin, and they would create these vortices, which would start the other ones spinning, and they got 10 times more wind power. And it's just a, it was a simple, a beautiful design from the natural world applied to our world. Yes, and energy efficiency seems to be one of the many, but one important guiding principle, because as a nature, of course, the conversion of, of, of food into energy, into mobility, into flying patterns, there's nothing in nature that just likes to waste things. So after hundreds of millions of years studying the pattern and making it better and better and more efficient, of course it is the best school we can look at to learn from. Um, there are examples of birds flying in formation and we want to hear many more examples of, of that kind of mind-boggling, perfect design that we can learn from. We're speaking with Janine Benyus, the co-founder of Biomimicry 3.8, an organization that is really trying to bring the wisdom and the genius of nature into the classroom and into day-to-day -day life and building sites and how we interact with one another as we are looking at biomimicry, applying nature's genius in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be taking a quick break. We'll be right back with much more. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit Earl's Organic. Dot com.
Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Bokehi. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic today is biomimicry, applying nature's genius. It's a mind-boggling world out there. Nature, several hundred million years in the making, has come up with some amazing, ridiculously brilliant solutions to our everyday lives, actually. Things we can apply from paint to how we move to energy efficiency. We are speaking with Janine Benyes, the co-founder of Biomimicry 3.8, who's really at the forefront to bringing this into the public knowledge, into the schoolroom, and into design, designs for the future, building sites, etc. We are going back into that interview in just a minute. She's joining us today, calling in from Montana. But first, here's our very own Mark Mokehi with an update from the world of produce. What's in season? Yeah, what's in season? We're talking about one of the oldest fruits on the planet, even even mentioned in the Bible. And Earl is going to bring us a little bit of information of biblical proportions from uh, the San Francisco produce market. Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce. Earl, what's going on? We're talking about figs today. Hey, Earl. Uh, hey, how you all doing? We're great. We're great. Good to have you. you. You know, with an introduction like that, Mark, I'm not sure if I'm worthy of talking about such a historic no. piece of fruit. Uh, but yes, figs. And I, I don't know if everybody's familiar with all the different kinds, but, there, you know, there's more than a handful. And even though we may know one or two every day, I want to touch on just a couple, uh, put some names out there so you can keep your eyes peeled. There's... um. Let me just run through them here. There's an Adriatic. Adriatic, my favorite fig. My favorite, too. Went to. Ah, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Candy Stripe. Oh, yeah. Cadota, nice, Cadota, Excel, Calmerna, and then the, and the most widely cultivated is the Black Mission. And Brown Turkey, right? And Brown Turkey, right. Those two are the biggest, and um, and you're right. The Adriatic has a great following. It's it, It's... The production is really small, and you know there's not a lot of production in the United States. California has a good 90, 95 percent. You can find small acreage in uh, Arizona and Texas, and you can. And I'm sure throughout the South you'll find you know people with a couple trees here and there. Yeah, but, pockets. Yeah. Yeah, little pockets. The fig likes hot and dry. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really what they enjoy so the the central valley here is is a perfect place for it to grow and and to be uh consumed um so if, we're talking about 110 degree weather is no problem for them if they don't come from the u.s though where do you bring them in organically i don't but i'm sure you can find them in the in out of the mediterranean area northern uh, africa i would assume or or the mid-east most of those figs are usually used for dried helga they're uh-huh. not bringing a lot. They're not importing a lot of figs fresh that are yeah. fresh figs. So you're only dealing with domestic, yeah. and yeah. Domestic so it's organic. a fairly short window, right? What's the season? It's right now, baby. 
Yeah, it, it pretty much it pretty much goes from May until the weather knocks it out, which is maybe mid-November. But it gets so better pretty, later in the year, well, right? Well, and actually, actually, Earl, just to kind of tie into there, it starts in May and then kind of declines around July and then comes back again mm. really strong now, right? Well, there's two seasons, and the, and the first one is May and June, and the fig there is bigger maybe prettier, but not as sweet. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then the real good ones start in August. That's where they're a little smaller, and, and they cut deep color, and they're sweet as sugar. So the, the fig season is really now, so we're talking August, September, uh, August, September, October, and then they fade a bit in November because they're just losing sun and they're losing their heat. Right, right, right. So the, so the two things to look out for is, obviously, if it rains, you're going to knock out uh, some of the crop, and if it gets too hot and the evenings are also hot, it, it's going to uh, cut the production down. And the reason for rain is because it, it makes them split, and then that can for- cause mold and fermentation. In the so fig. given the heat in this, this year, the growing season, a uh, big problem for many crops, but figs love it. And how's, mm-hmm. the, how's this year's figs harvest? Well, you know, right now, it, lo- it looks fantastic. We're looking for more production than last year, and I say we're in, uh, hold your seats for a great, cro- a great crop, and the only thing to look out for, again, is if uh, early rain happens or if you get some major spikes in temperature over 110, which I wouldn't think that's going to happen. Right, and with that, with it being such a good year, with looking like it's going to be such a great year, Earl, does that mean that the price should be fairly stable? I think that's the key word, Mark. Stable is right. Uh, now, it's all pretty relative if it's, if it's reasonable, but, you know, figs is a very perishable item, and um, you want to get them and eat them fast. So I would say they're going to hold steady with that they have been in the previous years, which could be maybe 2 to $4 a basket. Yeah, for organic. Exactly. That's so reasonable. Yeah, so so that's great. And as Earl and I, as you heard us start the show about Adriatics, just like when we were talking about O'Henry's and Summer Ladies, that's what you're hearing from not only Earl and I, but Sita and Helga, that if you can find an Adriatic fig, it will be worth your search. I would I would expand that search also to the candy stripe. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and those last had, years we had some year, candy stripe or, with yeah. you, Earl, mm-hmm. and wow, and yeah. spectacular flavor. Yeah, and so much fiber. They're so great for you. I'm sure we'll hear more about that from Sita and Mark. But yes, great fruit. I uh, look forward to enjoying these. And yes. again, you want to pick them when they're when they're full color and a little soft. And you want to maybe refrigerate half of what you ever you buy and leave the other half out and check them every day and eat them when they're soft. Wonderful. Great. Thank you, Earl. Thank you, Thanks, Earl. Earl. So Appreciate delicious. it. Takes this where it's at. Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce <laughs> in San Francisco. Thanks again, Earl. So Earl gave you pretty much what you need to know about figs. Just a couple of really quick things that you may not know is figs don't continue to ripen after harvest. And so if a fig is too firm when you buy it, it is not ripe and it will not be its uh, optimum sweetness. And so Earl told you you can only keep them for a couple of days. That's true. You put them in the back of your fridge for about two days in the coldest part of the fridge. And even though they that they that everybody tells you to buy smooth skin, unbroken skin figs, if you find one with a little tear because it's just bursting with ripeness, smell the fig. If there's no fermentation, then it's great to eat. If there's any fermentation, that means it's starting to break down. You should probably leave those alone. And you know they're easy to eat. You just pop them in your mouth. But if you're not a if you're not a fig popper, then just take a knife and cut them from the stem side down and quarter them, and then eat them that way. And please do share. It's hard to share once you start eating them. <laughs> and that's what's in season for this week. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Mark. Great. Thanks so much. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic today is biomimicry: applying nature's genius. From the skin of a shark to the web of a spider and the petals of a flower for optimal solar panel design, humans are only now discovering and applying nature's genius in our day-to-day life. And for new sustainable and innovative solutions, we are looking at biomimicry, applying nature's genius in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be taking a quick break. We'll be right back with much more. Stay tuned. 
Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Spicely Organics offers more than 200 different organic spices and dried herbs to choose from. Classics like oregano and cumin, exotics like aji amarillo, and blends like tikka masala. Spicely helps nourish your body while embracing sustainable, eco-friendly, and ethical practices always. Take wellness into your own hands and creativity into your own kitchen. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at Spicely.com. With us from Montana calling in is Janine Benyus, really on the forefront of that movement to look at nature for guidance and wisdom. She's the co-founder and the Institute Board President of Biomimicry 3.8, and we want to hear more about that as well. And she's the author of six books, including Biomimicry, Innovation Inspired by Nature, her most recent book. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Janine, you were talking before the break about a couple of examples of where nature's genius has helped us pretty dramatically or is in the process of helping us. You were describing a student project where the the a school of fish pattern was using the vortex created by some fish used by others was applied to a wind power plant and by grouping the wind turbines closer together with the same amount of wind turbines, the wind energy efficiency was upped. I also heard just recently that large airlines are actually thinking of grouping planes together as they are flying across the Pacific or the Atlantic because that flight pattern mimicked by birds uh, applied to airplanes boosts energy efficiency of flights by, what is it, 30%? It's amazing. Really? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And nothing you changes, know, right? We're flying anyway. What exactly. we are, we're looking at how nature would fly, and no bird exactly. would cross the Atlantic alone ever. <laughs> right. You right. had you had another great example. You were saying. Oh gosh, I was just you know thinking about <laughs> your you know the folks listening to this show and and uh, how important organic food is and and the you know one of the key issues as you know in the future is quality and quantity of water. And we really, when you ask, how does nature get water? It's very interesting because nature really doesn't drill for it. So there's no wells. There's no aquifers being drilled. And one place where there's an enormous amount of water that life takes advantage of, that the rest of life takes advantage of, that we don't, you can think about where that is. It's not rivers or lakes. It's the air. There's enormous, think of how sweaty, you know, think of fog coming in on the western coast in San Francisco, say, think of all that water. And and plants like, you know, redwoods, will a redwood, a single 100-foot redwood tree will pull out the equivalent of four inches of rain out of a good fog night. That's amazing. And, but we've, we, we, on many fog-bound coasts, uh, it's very dry because we've cut down trees. One thing that's beautiful, I think, a beautiful example comes from the Namibian desert. There's a beetle that gets its water by lifting up its wing scales. It literally stands on its head. Think of this little black beetle. 
in the Namib, standing on its head on the top of a dune, and the fog comes in, and the wing scales have these little bumps on them, and the tips of the bumps are water-loving, and the sides of the bumps are really waxy. And what happens is that the fog is attracted like a magnet to the water-loving tips, and the fog droplets start growing and growing, and because it's tilted, gravity takes over, and the, <laughs> the fog droplet rolls down the waxy sides of the bumps and into the critter's mouth in a stream of water after a few seconds. <laughs> now, our fog-catching nets, they've done, scientists have done uh, calculations on this, and it's about, ten, again, 10 times better than our fog-catching nets that we use in Chile. And these are essential for people wanting to do agriculture in these places. So what's happening now is, is um, there are several companies that are working on actual agricultural amendments, which would be these sheets, kind of a fog-capturing fog farm of, these, of an array of these sheets that are patterned in the same way as the beetle is patterned, with, but just with simple squares of water-loving next to water-fearing, and uh, it, it grabs... It grabs the fog and creates, you know, appreciable amounts of water so that you can get, you can start to do farming, you can start to get trees started that will then, once again, capture that water to, to replenish that groundwater. So efficient. That's incredible. Oh, that's really it's brilliant. So efficient. Oh. Yeah. So let's talk about um, let's talk about your organization, Biomimicry 3.8. What what are you guys doing there, and what does the name mean? 3.8. Yeah. Well, we we named it that just so you would ask that question. <laughs> Very good. Good one. <laughs> Success. You got us. Storytelling name. Um, 3.8 stands for 3.8 billion years. That's how long life has been on Earth, innovating, and um, actually learning to create conditions conducive to life through its amazing technologies. So what we do is we, we're we a company. We're, we're, a, we're a for-profit and a non-profit. We have a hybrid organization. And uh, our for-profit, uh, we work, we are consultants, and we work with inventors. We work with Boeing and Interface and 7th Generation and Patagonia and Nike and all kinds of people like Levi's recently, because jeans, as you know, cotton growing is not a very sustainable thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we, we uh, have a company of biologists who work with these innovators to bring life's ideas and life's principles to the design table. And we also have a nonprofit that, you see, we're actually, this, whole, this discipline is just beginning. So it needs all kinds of things. It needs actually coursework from starting in kindergarten, K through 12, teaching biology, through function, through this idea of, you know, how does nature filter or how does nature do chemistry? <laughs> you know, how does nature communicate or cooperate? Um, teaching that at K through 12 and then right on through, you know, we have university programs, we have a big education network. Um, we do, we have a, a neat website that people should check out called uh, Ask Nature. Yes, and and I actually did check it out. out. Yes, there are 25 examples just on the homepage of how nature um, is being applied right now from e-skin to paint that is, you know, inspired by the cartilage shape of the of the shark skin to be more resistant and, and better for against UV penetration, car coverings, vibro wind, the Hornet electricity. Check it out, asknature.org. It's, it's fascinating. It's hilarious. It's brilliant. Great, great website. Yeah, you know, that, that shark, there's so much we're learning from sharks. <laughs> you know, it, it, it pains me when I hear about people drinking shark fin soup. And sharks are one of the oldest animals on the planet, right? So it's interesting Absolutely. that, of course, the older, um, that you know, the wisdom of the elders, we talk about that when we talk about ecology and, and, and thriving communities and how we bring community back. The wisdom of the elders is too often completely overlooked. Talk about the wisdom of the elders when it comes to sharks or old species. A shark, you know, four million years old, the most refined design when it comes to moving through water or having developed that very specific skin that we are learning from left and right. Uh, amazing. Right. I mean, the, the one that you mentioned that I love is the, literally the simple, it's a very simple one. It's a German company doing this. 
they've created a stencil, and they are basically painting on the the same design as as shark skin with these dentisols on it, which are these these little triangular uh, extrusions of the of the skin that play with water in a certain way to reduce drag. And by by stenciling those onto ships, large you know ocean going ships, they're finding that they're saving two thousand tons of fuel a year per ship just by doing that just by reducing that drag and then the other cool shark one is is a, a product for hospitals actually that is kind of like a contact paper that it's a thin film and you attach it to railings and doorknobs and hospital beds and you paste it down it and on the surface you can hardly see it but it has these tiny ridges, and it, it mimics the ridged skin of a Galapagos shark. What it does is it repels bacteria, not with any chemical or any antibiotic that's going to cause resistance, but it repels it just because it's uncomfortable for the bacteria to settle there, so they don't. Yeah. There's absolutely no <laughs> chemical that's or drug. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I mean, <laughs> I mean, humans, you know, of course, we have our own genius and there's amazing discoveries and uh, wonderful philosophy and all of it. And yet, if we can just direct our attention to the interconnectedness with nature and learn from it, we would have such a much easier life uh, instead of inventing the next generation of toxic chemicals for hospitals who are totally stressing out about bacteria and viruses and trying to, to contain bacteria with antibiotics that no longer work when nature already has the solution. We're speaking with Janine Benyes, the co-founder of Biomimicry 3.8, an institution that is a hybrid, a nonprofit that educates from the classroom to the greater world, as well as a company that applies nature's wisdom in, in conversations and products and in, in consultant work that you are doing here in the U.S. and all around the world. Janine, stay with us. We have a bunch more questions for you, but we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Spicely Organics' emphasis has long been on the natural health benefits of organic spices. And now, Spicely is excited to share more health benefits with the introduction of their hand-blended organic teas. Choose from black, green, white, mate, oolong, pu'er, and herbals blended with their signature spices like vanilla rooibos, sweet turmeric, and honey lavender. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com. back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. We are completely enmeshed, biologically enmeshed, so to say, in the world of biomimicry, applying nature's genius, our topic. And today's hour with us from Montana is Janine Benyes, the co-founder of Biomimicry 3.8, an institution to bring genius in nature into our daily lives through application of all kinds of amazing designs in the world of ecology. Before we dive back into that interview, though, here's our weekly update on the world of health and beauty with our very own Sitarani Palomar, Chef Sita, with her holistic bite. Well, last 
last night I had a conversation with some female friends of mine about floor-length dresses. Both of these friends are not much taller than five foot three, and they had confided in me that they'd always wanted to wear long dresses, but they were always afraid to because of their height. And the discussion started because they had complimented me on the dress that I was wearing, and they neither realized that I'm not any taller than they are. So these kinds of fixed fashion rules. Concerned men and women alike. People think I can't wear that color because it clashes with my skin tone, or that blazer would never look good on me because it's way too trendy. And、um, I love so and so's wardrobe, but I could never pull that off. And to all of those comments, I say I think they're rubbish. Honestly, I think that the times when we look for something that doesn't match as an individual are the times when we're uncomfortable. So, by all means, if something makes you uncomfortable, don't feel the need to fit into that trend. But all of that being said, I truly believe that anything you want to pull off, you can pull off. I've never really been a fan of trends because I think that we should all feel free to wear what we feel great in, and the only real accessories we need in fashion are desire and confidence. A good friend once told me about dressing in New York City that the greatest ease letting off that pressure, getting ready in the day, is knowing that no matter what you. Put on, you'll never be the best dressed in the city, and you'll never be the worst dressed in the city. And I take that a step <laughs> further to say that best and worst are just opinions, and the one opinion that counts is yours. So if you want to wear something, you should wear it with joy and pride, and everybody else will be magnetized to that glow. If that means wearing a maxi dress at five foot, or if that means wearing a velvet blazer on narrow shoulders, whatever it is, wear what excites you and feel good about yourself for putting yourself first. And if it helps, you can always research what makes that look flattering for your figure. For example, vertical stripes give the illusion of height. Black is always slimming, and asymmetrical cuts help emphasize curves. And the best accessory that you can wear is a big smile. And that's this week's holistic bite. Thank you, Sita. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we are looking into the mind-boggling world of biomimicry, applying nature's genius. With us is the most renowned person out there in that world, bringing it into our front and backyards, left and right. Janine Benyus, co-founder of Biomimicry 3.8. And also the author of several books, six books in total, including the la- latest biomimicry innovation inspired by nature. Janine, you were talking about the work that you do as a consultant,、um, from the schoolroom to design and architecture firms, really applying nature's wisdom shaped by, in some cases, in the case of the shark that we just discussed, billion years as one of the oldest animals on this planet. Lots to learn from, and more and more to come. How did you get into this work? You are a biologist by training, is that correct? Well, I, you know, I'm I am a science writer, and、uh, my subject is life,、uh, and how amazing it is. And I had written five other books, and those books were full of amazing natural technologies. That it occurred to me as I kept on writing about, you know, and and life can do this, and you know. Live at the top of an ocean of the mountain, and live at the bottom of the ocean, and actually build soil rather than deplete it. And you know, and the ways that life、uh, is able to do all these things are beginning to be understood. So, the, so I asked myself, you know, why aren't people, why aren't people asking, asking for advice? Why aren't they consulting nature? And when I found out that people actually did want to do this, when those companies began to call me and say, you know, bring your biologists over, I realized that there was a discipline that was that was waiting to be born, and、uh, that what it what we needed was to take the ideas from biology that I'd been writing about for all these years, and there's a whole group of people, biologists and ecologists, who know them and study them. But those people need to start talking to the people who make our world,、uh, the people who design the things that power us and that feed us and that house us and that clothe us. The biologists need to find a way to transmit that wisdom at the moment of creation, when people are designing, before they've, and, and every question they should be able to bring to the natural world. You know, not just. Uh, what shape should I make this this fog catching net? But 
what should I make it out of? It sounds like there's a whole new era of science beginning to emerge, of applied science, of not hundreds of millions of, of miles of paperwork and studies that nobody will ever read sitting on the shelves of many, many, many universities, but actually using the knowledge in chemistry and biology to apply for everyday life where it's most, most needed right now. Well, that's, you know, if there's so many um, students who uh, come up to us and say, you know, this is so amazing because now I can, I can do a science degree. I can, I can enjoy learning about the natural world, which is my passion. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I know that what I learn is going to be used yes. to help Sure. Preserve, it's relevant. Preserve that very species. Absolutely. And that, and th there's there's real joy in that, especially for this next generation yeah. of uh, of uh, students who understand that they can't stand by on the sidelines as scientists anymore. Yes. Well, you know, Jean, when I've been listening to you for this whole show, and it's been hard for me to even speak because I've just wanted to hear all your stories. <laughs> you know, it, it really so seems like this is a time of paying attention to for all of us to be observers and in that process of observing what are the other benefits for us as a society that can make us better individually and collectively well you know we talk a lot about product design because it's an interesting you know it's a it's a, it's a way into understanding biomimicry but some of the most powerful things happening in biomimicry right now are looking at the larger lessons the meta legate lessons meta patterns For instance, we understand now that we have to learn what resilience means, you know, how to be resilient. And because of so many changes are going to be coming towards us uh, with climate change. And resilience is a field of study that ecologists have been looking at. Why, why, do, some, why do some ecosystems bounce back after disturbance and others don't? What is it about the ones that bounce back? It makes them so resilient. And the patterns in those systems are things like, and you know this, you know, in organic farming, it's diversity. It's, it's decentralization. It's not putting all your eggs in one basket, right? It's, it's a self-sufficiency. So the, the resilience, uh, is the ability being built to adapt rather than being locked into a design, um, feedback loops, relying on continual supply of information about how you're doing and changing when you need to change. The importance of cooperation in a resilient ecosystem, that is mutualisms, mutually beneficial relationships among species, you know, the, the mycorrhizal fungi that is giving the tree phosphorus, the tree is giving the fungi carbon, but that mycorrhizal network is actually connecting tree to shrub and shrub to a different kind of tree, and they're exchanging nutrients across the entire system. Those meta patterns, those larger level patterns, are really being picked up now by communities that want to start to learn to organize in more biomimetic ways. Yeah, and that makes it way more that makes it way more applicable for it's not we're not talking about biomimicry as in the furthest most corner of some bio lab somewhere in the United States. This is, is something the entire world can learn from and has learned from. Indigenous cultures living closer to the earth exactly. have adopted you know, many things in nature already to make their life easier, more sustainable, more efficient, more effective. So this is really for everyone. This is a cultural... You were saying that you know, we, we don't have to adjust our de design. We have to completely redesign our daily lives. That's right. That's right. And at every juncture, if you ask, you've got to ask some hard questions. If you really are going to live according to the, the principles that what we did was we came up with a list of life's principles. And, and as scientists, we looked at what do all organisms have in common? What do they have in common? And there are things like things that are kind of inconvenient truths, things like they rely on local supplies of energy local supplies of food and building materials. They, uh, they work or barter for everything they get, therefore they're, they're incredibly energy. Mm -hmm. They sip energy. They use the minimum amount of material to get, to get the function that they need. Yes. Um, they build things out of a very simple palette of materials. 
you know, there's only kind of five major materials that are used over and over again in polymers in the natural world. And that makes it easy to recycle. However, you know, when you're looking at our our industrial system as we have it right now, Western industrial system, we, we're dependent on, on shipping um, around the world. Uh, we're, not, we're not making things locally. I think that we're turning the corner, finally, because of, of the local food movement, really, I think is, is one of the things that's really starting to move us. But we have to get to the point where we're not just growing food locally, but we're making and manufacturing what we need locally, and that means we need safe manufacturing. Yes. Luckily, we have models of nature's chemistry and turning the corner, we must in so many disciplines. Um, Jenny, we're almost out of time, but it's such a fascinating hour. Thank you for joining us. You're and so if welcome. people want to get involved, biomimicry.net or asknature.org are the two sites. Um, we'll post that on our Facebook page, of course. That's Janine Benyes, um, the foremost authority on biomimicry, joining us for the hour, calling in from Montana. Thank you, Janine, for all your work. Fascinating world. Thanks so much. Yeah, so wonderful Thank having you. you on. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, so check out Facebook and Organic Conversation, facebook.com forward slash Organic Conversation and send us your comments and questions to share at anorganicconversation.com. I could listen to her tell those stories all day. I'm completely... I'm completely fascinated. I'm, I'm so excited to get a copy of her book because I feel like it's going to be a really intelligent read, a really inspiring read. And... It's, it's not fiction, but it captures you the way that, that fiction does because the stories are so compelling. Yeah, and we talk a lot about ecology here on the show, which is the study of relationships. And this really encapsulates the ultimate relationships, the relationships of wind to surface to, I mean, it's so vast and there's so much to learn. I feel like we just literally scratched the surface of, of it all. To I mean, I can, I can tangibly feel the richness of what's, out there still undiscovered, waiting to be seen. <laughs> yes, yeah, yesterday I went to church with my mom, and it got me thinking when I was listening to this show that if God provides everything we need in the natural world, then and all these answers are there, then we haven't been doing a very good job of, <laughs> of, so of taking what has been given us and using it to its fullest uh Availability, right? Yes, and if you don't believe in in a God um, and nature is your universe, then it's the same result. We are so self-absorbed, not seeing the richness of intelligence and beauty and everything. Like just smart, so smart. Well, beautiful. I think we're not integrating it as well as we could. Helga, you said humans <laughs> are genius. We have genius, and we've been able to do amazing things. But there has to be a balance. We have to be able to integrate the intelligence that we have with intelligent design with mother nature's and it's not a rivalry design. right not our genius could be by exploring what else is possible and how we can how we can apply it anyway fascinating topic yeah wonderful great. and that was this week's edition of an organic conversation <sighs> thanks for listening an organic conversation is a proud production of the organic media network associate producer Kristen ponger if you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>